Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time, we're going to talk about how involved should the board be in your compliance and ethics program. But first, I want to uh, thank those who attended the uh, webinar last week and want to uh, uh, make note of an upcoming speaking engagement I have that's going to be live and in person in Houston, Texas. Uh, the Society for Corporate Compliance and Ethics, SCCE, annually holds their Utilities and Energy Conference. And I think uh, this is the first time it's been back in Houston in a few years. It used to always <clears throat> be at the uh, Galleria in Houston. And uh, I think it's been in Washington, D.C. for the last few years. But here in 2019, February 10th through the 12th, uh, it is going to be back at the Galleria in Houston. So for those of you who are in Texas or in Houston, um, that uh, uh, maybe you need to get a few uh, credits for your CCEB, CCEP rather, um, or you are looking to go to an event. Uh, maybe you're a furloughed federal compliance officer in, in Houston um, and you have some time on your hands. Whatever the case may be, uh, I would encourage you to attend the Utilities and Energy uh, Compliance and Ethics Conference. Even if you aren't in the utility and energy uh, industry, if you take a look at the agenda at the SEC uh, e website, that's www.corporatecompliance.org, you can find <clears throat> find information. There are a lot of topics that are, are relevant, uh, whether you're in the energy sector or not. I'm going to be speaking on February the 11th, uh, Monday at 11 a.m. Central Time. Uh, I'm going to be on the agenda uh, talking about Code 3.0 expectations for modern written standards. Uh, So talking on a topic that I regularly discuss here on the podcast and elsewhere, but um, uh, please do if you're going to be in the Houston area uh, February uh, 10th through the 12th, uh, consider uh, attending the um, uh, the event, and and if you're gonna if you already know you're gonna be there, please come to our session at 11 on Monday. So I wanted to talk a little bit about board of directors, um, although uh, if you look at the sentencing guideline standards, the seven hallmarks, uh, it doesn't talk about. Uh, specifically a board of directors, it talks about the quote-unquote governing authority. So that takes into account trustees and other um, uh, other structures that might be in place for organizations that don't actually have a board of directors. But more commonly, we're talking about a board of directors. And the question that comes up often is uh, when you look at the guideline standards and you look at some of the guidance that's come out recently in the last few years, uh, it seems to uh, discuss uh, the uh, responsibilities for board members and the relationship between the board and uh, those responsible for the day-to-day aspects of the compliance program. Um, more um, specifically, uh, in amendments we saw in 2010, which, uh, as I've said before, I get either either the con- some congratulation or some tomatoes, depending on how you feel about those amendments. Since I worked, uh, I was at the commission in 2010 and worked on those. Um, and then also, obviously, uh, uh, commentary that's come out uh, from the Department of Justice and SEC and others over the last few years. 
Um, so really, what this breaks down to is what are the what's the baseline? How, how, how you know what what are the requirements? Well, again, as we discussed a couple uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think in in one of the podcasts, is there aren't any hard and fast required requirements for exact for example to have a code of conduct. There aren't any hard and fast requirements uh, to have anything in place unless you have some sort of uh, if you're uh, subject to the federal acquisition regulation, or if you are listed on the uh, on a stock exchange, or have some other extreme ex- external requirement that you have some component or components of a compliance program, there's no uh, requirement for you to be doing business that you have a compliance program. It's just that you are not going to be given credit. Uh, for having something you don't have, uh, if you ever, um, uh, if your organization ever finds itself uh, being examined by a regulator uh, for potential misconduct or violations of the law, uh, what what we see in the sentencing guideline standards, and what I'm going to be talking about here with re- regards to uh, best practices for board members, is is just that best practices. It, these are expectations. This is what is going to allow your organization to get mitigation credit should anything actually go wrong. So I wanted to talk about the three areas that you should focus on with regards to the um, board of directors and their involvement in the compliance program, at least to start, at least to evaluate. And the first is the board really needs to understand what their role is and what and what board members' responsibility specifically for compliance and ethics programs are under these standards that are out there, including the sentencing guideline standards, but also other guidance that's come out. So they need to understand uh, the role of the board as the ultimate uh, ultimate responsible party or parties for the compliance program. They need to understand uh, the importance of the regular and periodic reporting from those responsible for the day-to-day operation of the program to the board. Um, and they need to understand the, their, their uh, responsibility for understanding risks and being trained. And uh, oftentimes, uh, the reporting piece of this, uh, the connection, the communication, if you will, between the board and the day-to-day operations is handled by uh, the Audit Committee of the Board of Directors or Compliance Committee, if there is such a thing. Um, some subdivision of the board is actually uh, more involved in the periodic update of the, pro- the uh, initiatives and, and status of the program. But one thing to keep in mind, um, the sentencing guidelines when it talks about training and understanding the role of compliance, this first one that I'm talking about, needing to understand uh, the role and the ultimate responsibility for compliance is with the full board. This is sometimes missed, I think, um, because we focus a lot on the relationship between the audit committee or the compliance committee or whatever subdivision of the board is uh, handling the sort of uh, frequent uh, touch points with the staff, uh, compliance staff within the organization, the chief compliance officer or whomever is reporting. And so we focus on that relationship and, and on the audit committee of the board's uh, understanding of risk and the audit committee of the board's training and the audit committee and the board uh, being updated on initiatives and status of the program and incident reporting and all of those training reporting and all those other 
uh, nice things that we do when we have a mature program that reports to the board directors. But do not forget that when you look at the sentencing guideline standards, if you look at chapter eight of the sentencing guideline standards, or if you look at best practices and expectations, it's that the board, full stop, not the subcommittee of the board, but the board be trained and that the board is ultimately responsible. So uh, with this first prong of making sure everybody understands their responsibility for compliance, that's a full board responsibility or, or, or undertaking. You need to make sure the full board has that understanding and the full board has been trained on the responsibilities that uh, uh, board members have. Second area that I would uh, focus on that I, I, I think is, is usually well covered, but sometimes not. Uh, we Again, I th when I talk to um, uh, staff that, that report regularly, regularly to boards, uh, on a quarterly basis or six times a year or even you know often informally to the chair of the audit committee um, there's a lot of focus on metrics uh, particularly in the last couple of years and we had a podcast or two about this uh, recently where we talked about metrics and how important that is and that's an important thing to impart to the board sort of the status state of the state and how many um, uh, how many uh, uh, incidents have been reported and what's the status uh, who's been trained? How have they been trained? What are our initiatives? You know, are we building a new code of conduct? You know, all of those uh, important pieces of the puzzle that get reported uh, to the board on a regular basis, so they sort of know where the program is, uh, know the status of ongoing monitoring. Uh, sometimes, what gets lost is, uh, for lack of a better term, a little bit bigger picture discussion about compliance risk. Uh, the board, uh, and particularly the, the the audit committee of the board, this or whoever, whichever subcommittee is directly responsible for compliance, need to really be up to speed on the risks uh, that the organization face, understanding those risks and understanding how the program addresses those risks. In other, in other words, what are the controls that are in place to address our compliance risks? Because at a high level, they need to be involved in that discussion about uh, uh, making sure that the uh, compliance risks of the organization are adequate, adequately addressed because they're going to be held ultimately responsible for that. And um, it doesn't happen all the time, and, and, and oftentimes organizations that are very mature and have a mature reporting uh, process also uh, uh, include risk into that process. But uh, I would take a close look at how often, how frequently uh, those top-level risks are discussed at the board level. Um, and how often the, the those risks are dis discussed within the context of how the compliance program actually addresses those risks. That's another important one. And the last one I wanted to talk about, um, which I've already mentioned and is woven through everything that has to do with uh, the board understanding uh, what's going on with the program and getting status, getting metrics, getting anything else, that all has to come through a conduit, and that's the relationship uh, between the board and the person or persons responsible for the day-to-day -day operation of the program. Now, I don't just say that. Um, uh, it sounds uh, it sounds a little stilted, but that is the language that comes out of the sentencing guideline standards, and there's a reason for that, and we've talked about this before, that uh, uh, as this profession matures, uh, there are people that have the responsibility for compliance in uh, many different organizations that have many, many different titles. And sometimes those titles have the 
the term compliance in them. Sometimes they have the term ethics in them. Sometimes they have uh, the term um, uh, integrity in them. Uh, sometimes they don't have any of any uh, of the of the uh, terms of art, if you will, for compliance that we would normally understand. Sometimes they're called the chief auditor, and sometimes they're called the chief legal officer or the general counsel, and sometimes they're called the chief financial officer or, or something else. Uh, so the guidelines were um, uh, circumspect about not naming a title or a specific position. It was focusing on the responsibility of the person or person. So it could be multiple people that have the responsibility for the day-to-day -day operation of these components of a compliance program that are laid out in the hallmarks of the sentencing guidelines. So uh, it is entirely possible that the person or person is responsible for the day-to-day -day operation of the program. Uh, uh, maybe somebody or, or, or a couple of somebodies um, that do not have the title chief compliance officer. And it may be that somebody else has the title chief compliance officer. Perhaps uh, that person also has other titles, but they aren't actually responsible for the day-to-day -day operation. So you need to watch that and make sure that the people who are actually running the program on a day-to-day -day basis, the, the operational compliance, that's another term that's often used, operational compliance program, uh, are the ones that have the relationship with the audit committee to the board of directors and ultimately the, um, uh, the board of directors as a whole. Um, that is, again, something that seems uh, may seem a no-brainer to some of you, but, but I've talked and, and worked with many organizations where that was not entirely clear, where you had somebody who was nominally the chief compliance officer, but really, their day-to-day -day role was, you know, uh, chief auditor or or uh, chief legal officer, and they really did not uh, have an operational understanding that was uh, commiserate with those that actually handled those uh, responsibilities at the organization. Um, that happens. Um, not, uh, you know, it's not universal, but but it does happen. So you need to think about. Who is really responsible? Who really knows where the bodies are buried? Uh, who really knows how to explain uh, uh, the program best and our initiatives best and uh, incident reporting best and, and other metrics best? Uh, who, is, who is the best positioned person to talk about our operation, operational compliance at our organization? That's the person or person who need to have the relationship and need to be having that time uh, on a quarterly basis or however often um, you're meeting with the governing authority or board of directors. So take a look at that as well. I think if you look at those three, three, three areas, a little bit about their understanding of their role, and, and by they, again, I mean the expanded full board, not just the audit committee of the board, and uh, their understanding of the risks and the where the relationship lies and you know, what are the four corners of the relationship between staff and the board of directors and who's involved in that and are we comfortable that that is uh, uh, aligns with the expectations and best practices out there this is a couple of things uh, this has come up recently in some discussions about uh, board involvement um, and it's always good to uh, I think periodically re-examine that relationship and make sure you're comfortable that it meets with those expectations. So um, until next time uh, if you again are going to be in Houston on February 10th through the 12th 
uh, please join us at the SCCE's uh, Utility and Energy Conference. Um, if you want any more information about that, uh, you can check the show notes. I'll have a link uh, to the um, brochure for, for that event. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.